I wonder how many people actually understand what real salvation is. I think that in the world of churchianity, we have been greatly deceived by, yes, churches, preachers that have made salvation the easiest thing in the world to do. I mean, it's easier than getting a job. It's easier than finding a mate. It's easier than going to college. It's easy. It's the easiest thing you will ever do. And because of that, I think most people are clueless as to what real salvation is really all about. Now, let me just give you an example here. In Romans 6 and verse 1, and what I want to do, do today is to go through uh, segments of the book of Romans and just ask the question, okay, what is real salvation? What does the Bible say about salvation? That's the question we want to ask. What does the Bible say about salvation? Well, in Romans 6 and verse 1, it says, what shall we, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, here Paul asked a question, a, a, a critical question about salvation, and that is, shall we Continue in sin that grace may abound. Now, I sort of believe that a lot of religious people would say, well, yeah, that's basically the life that you're going to live. You are going to continue in sin, and you're going to to depend on grace to get you through. Now, I understand that grace is there. Once you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've been baptized, you've received the Holy Spirit of God, that grace is always there for you to depend on. But that's not my point. Paul is asking the question. He says, shall we, now this, he's speaking to the, to the Christian, the true Christian, who has the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. He has the power of God, which is the Spirit of God dwelling inside of him. And he's asking this million-dollar question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What is Paul's answer? God forbid. No, we're not going to continue in sin. That's Paul's answer. Something that eludes most Christians. A dilemma, an answer that totally confuses most Christians. Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. Now, the problem is this in the world of churchianity is that we sort of set ourselves up to be losers right off the get-go. You know, we set ourselves up to be a beautiful loser. We have the mentality that, that it's really all about grace. There's nothing that we can do. Obedience is not possible. Uh, real righteousness is really not possible, at least not in this world, is, is the way we view it. I mean, how could you possibly resist all the temptations that are out there? How can you truly live a Christian life? It's sort of we set ourselves up to be losers right off the get-go. We don't believe that it's even possible to live a godly life in an ungodly world. Now, I admit it's it's not easy, but you know, you got to ask, what is God's expectation? It doesn't matter whether we believe it or not. we we got to ask, what does God expect from us? Does God believe that being 
successful, that being a winner when it comes to overcoming sin, putting sin out of our life, does God believe that it's possible? Does God believe that it's possible for you to live a godly life in an ungodly world is, is the question that I'm asking. Well, I want to look at a verse that stumps a lot of Christians. It's found back in Luke 1 and verse 5. It says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abijah, and his wife was the daughter of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. Now, we're talking about two people, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And it says in verse 6, now notice this, it says, And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Now, you got to wrap your mind around this. you got to ask, what is this doing in the Bible? Does this fit my concept of salvation? That being a winner, being successful at living the Christian life is actually possible. Because here we have two people who were walking in all the commandments, commandments of the Lord, the ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they were both righteous before God. Now, we have to evaluate something here. We have to ask what's going on with what we're reading here in the Bible and what we're getting from mainstream Christianity, which is really a passive approach to, I mean, I don't even know if obedience is even taught in churches. I, I, I know there seems to be very little discipline in churches. You know, what, 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 is, what kind of disciplines are there in religion anymore? So you got to ask the question, is, is this really taught in the world's churches today, that, that it is possible for a person to, you know, be able to keep God's commandments, that this is not something that is impossible, that, it, that this is something that is actually possible for us to do. But I'm, I'm telling you, you will never do it with what I call a dead theology. And a dead theology basically is this, grace plus nothing. You know, as long as that is your mentality, that somehow Jesus lived his life and of obedience so that you don't have to. That, that's sort of the concept that a lot of Christians have, that he sort of lived his life in our stead so that we really don't have to worry about being blameless. We don't have to worry about being righteous. We don't have to worry about obedience or keeping the commandments of God. We don't have to worry about that because Jesus did all that for us. That is Now, if that is your mentality, if that's the way you think, you will always be a loser. I mean, this is the bottom line. You will always be a loser when it comes to living the Christian life. You will never have victory. You will never have victory when it comes to living the Christian life. So what is the Bible's view of salvation? Well, we go back to Romans 6 and verse 1, where Paul asks this question. He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And his answer is, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, he opens up this, this concept of being dead and dead to sin. And, and it goes on to say, know ye not that so many of us that were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized unto his death. 
Now here, as we talk about the biblical view of salvation, the concept of dying, being dead to sin, is is revealed before us. Now, exactly what does that mean? When we talk about what is real salvation, we're talking about the idea that you that the old man, that part of you that has gotten yourself in trouble, you know, your mental, psychological makeup, your will power. Now, willpower is a good thing, that all, but often our will is what? That strong will. <clears throat> and I should say that an addict, a person addicted to sin, is just it just reveals that he has a very strong will. The problem is it, that strong will is what has gotten that person addicted to the sin in the first place. So here we are in, in this person that we have become over a period of 20 or 30 years is going to the analogy is this this being is going to die because it says that so many of us as we're baptized unto Jesus Christ we're baptized unto his death so the concept of dying the old self is dying no longer is it you know this 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 person that you once were is going to die in other words sin can no longer find you is the analogy here. It's like, you know, a, a literal death and sin goes looking for you and all of a sudden it says, well, that, that person died. He, he no longer exists. I can't, I don't have the power over this person that I once had. You know, speaking of sin as if sin is a literal, you know, person that was going around pursuing you, looking looking for you. And all of a sudden sin, this person called sin looks and says, oh, well, that, that person died uh, uh, two days ago no use messing with him anymore he's dead and this is the analogy that is given in the bible that that you're going the old man is going to die now we're again we're talking about the biblical view of salvation that so many religious people totally overlook because the whole concept is about it's it's not about what God can do through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's more about, well, Jesus, you know, grace and grace and, and grace and, and more grace. And, and you know, Jesus sort of lived his life in my stead, and I don't really have to, you know, there's a disconnect is what I'm saying with, with people in the area of religion when it comes to their behavior, when it comes to their sin. You know, it's 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 as if okay, I go to church and I sing in a choir and I smile and I look really, I'm all dressed up in my suit and I look really good and and I look religious and people know that I'm religious. But there's a disconnect when it comes to behavior, the way that we behave as people, and the disconnect is we don't realize that a death is that real salvation, a death occurs. Is, is the analogy that is given, given here. The old man has to die. Let's notice verse 4. Therefore, Romans 6 and verse 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. Now there again is the concept of, 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 of death, the death of the old, old man. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, this whole concept of newness and life is very appealing, and we think, okay, I got life, I got life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
you know, a lot of people at Easter time, they, they talk about, <clears throat> okay, I've got life because of Christ Jesus. And that, that's, that's true because of his resurrection. You know, we, um, <clears throat> we can have life. But what is overlooked is, often by religious people, is that in order for there to be new life, there has to first be a death. And that is the death of the old man. The old sinful man has to be, and what we're going to find out is that that old, and this is all a part of conversion, that that old sinful man has to be put to death. And so we come back to this concept, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But there is a process in this, what I call the salvation room process that you enter in upon baptism that, that yeah, you're going to have new life. The Christian is going to have new life, but there is a process of putting to death the old man. And that process is called you know, conversion. <clears throat> it's called what I call being in the salvation process room, where over a period of time you put to death the deeds of the body. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't occur <clears throat> overnight. You know, just because you've gone down in the waters of baptism, and you know, which symbolizes the death of the old man. The whole concept of baptism is is very spiritual in the in the sense that what it represents is a watery grave. You know, you're you're standing there up in water uh, above your waist or whatever, and and then the minister lays you back, and you're you're totally immersed in in the water. All right, that that is a picture of being buried you know, in water or in dirt or whatever, but it's a symbol of, of death, baptism is. You are buried. And, of course, it's a very quick moment that you go under the water, and, and a lot of people are sort of fearful of that, and <clears throat> I understand that. But it's only for a second. Of course, you hold your nose or whatever, and, and you're, you go under, and then you're back up, and you come up out of that watery grave to begin a new life with Jesus Christ. and But my point is that this new life, let, let, let's read it again. It says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness in life, newness of life, excuse me. So my point is, in order for this newness of life to occur, there has to be the death of the old man. And I think a lot of religious people overlook this. You know, you can't just focus on the newness of life. There, it's, it's a twofold process. In order for you to have newness of life, there has to be the death of the old man. Continuing on in verse 5, Romans 6 and verse 5, it says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death referring to baptism as a watery grave where you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You repent of your sins. You look to Christ for the answer. You've come to the end of your rope. There is no human solution. The only solution is Jesus Christ. Well, it says now, if, if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. In other words, we're going to have a new kind of life. But how does this new kind of life occur? Well, next verse, Romans 6 and verse 6, knowing this, 
that the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now, exactly how does this take place? Uh, if, if you know anything, well, you may not know anything about this, but you know, when I was first baptized, I was expecting God to wave maybe like a magic wand over me and that all desire for sin would be taken away. Well, that didn't happen. That didn't happen at all. But notice what it says, that the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. You see, destroying the body of sin has a little bit to do with you. It has, it is the work of the Holy Spirit, but you have your part in it. You know, you, you, it, it is a process. It's what I call entering the salvation room process, and God begins to work on you so that ultimately you're not going to be serving sin anymore. This is a process. It's a process. It's not an issue of just God waving a magic wand over you and you no longer have any desire for sin. It is a process of, yes, working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, as the Bible says. It continues on in Romans 6 and verse 7. It says, for he that is dead is freed from sin. And again, it uses this analogy that if you were dead, literally dead, you would be free from sin. But this is the analogy that, that the Bible uses. So what I want you to understand is when we talk about, you know, exactly what is going on, what is God's desire when it comes to you as an individual, well, it is that you be an overcomer, that, that you overcome those destructive things about you that you actually built up before God called you. You know, you might have spent 20, 25 years. Maybe you spent 30 or 40 years before God called you developing unhealthy, sinful uh, behavior patterns in your life. Well, those behavior, sinful behavior pattern, patterns in your life are going to have to be, you're going to have to overcome those by the power of God's grace and spirit that you now have. And it is a process of creating a new creature in Christ. Just because you're, you've been baptized doesn't mean that suddenly you are this new creature in Christ. No, the process has just begun the, the day of your baptism. This is only day one after you come up out of the waters of baptism. You've got the rest of your life to deal with this issue. And the issue is that the body of sin that's your body of sin that you are responsible for. You're the ones that made all those bad decisions before God called you. Now, I admit a lot of it comes through ignorance. A lot of it comes through, you know, ignorance when it comes to child rearing, the way maybe our parents reared us, or the things they didn't say, the, the correction they didn't give us, whatever it may be. But, but I'm not using any of those as an excuse. I'm just saying you do need to realize that certain issues came up in your life, that you develop these bad behavior patterns. And, you know, from this day forward, once you're baptized, the goal is that this body of sin might be destroyed. That's the goal. That's the agenda that God has for you. Okay, Romans 6 and verse 11 says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. 
but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now again, here is the concept of being dead to sin. And yet, on the other hand, to be alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, you know, to be alive, in other words, you live for God. You live for Christ. Uh, No longer are you going to live for yourself, meaning the sinful inclinations that you struggled with before your calling, before your baptism. You know, you're going to live totally different now. Now, again, this is a, a transformation process. It really is. And I, I've met so many people, or I've come across and heard of a lot of people that, you know, sort of believe like in the sinner's prayer. Will you come pray for, you know, I'm old and ugly and I'm getting ready to die. Could you come pray for me and pray the sinner's prayer? And I'm thinking, you know, you don't even understand what salvation is. I mean, the, the, it's salvation is about total transformation. You're going to end up a totally different person than you were when you were first baptized, I mean, that b- baptism is just day one of your transformation process. Now, let's take a look at Romans 6 and verse 12. It tells us about the process. It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Now, who is this talking to? When it says, let not sin, okay, that, that's talking to me. I, you know, me, David Freeman. I'm I'm supposed to not let sin reign in my mortal body, that I should obey the lust, obey it in the lust thereof. Okay, that's speaking to the to you. That's speaking to me. This is something that God expects you to do, to not let sin reign in your mortal body. Uh, continuing on in verse thirteen, Romans six and verse thirteen. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. The word yield is interesting here, okay? There is a yielding, okay? There, there is a yielding that we yield to our own sinful desires, but then there's another yielding that, that where we yield to God's will, and you have to understand, every struggle that you're up against after you're baptized is just a, it's a clash of wills. It really is. You have your will, and God has his. And that's sort of how you need to look at it. There is a clash of wills going on in the Christ, in every Christian's life. There is a clash of wills going on. God has his will for you to do the right thing. You have your will, often that is to do the wrong thing, to do the sinful thing, to give in to the lust, to yield to the wrong things. So it really is an issue of yielding here. Who are you going to yield to? Okay, Romans 6 and verse 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, I hate to admit it, but there's all kinds of convoluted ideas about exactly what does that mean, that we're not under the law. Uh, does that mean I don't have to obey the law? Does that mean, you know, there's all kind, uh, just almost crazy ideas about this. What does it mean not to be under the law? Well, let me explain it. it. It means that you're not under the penalty of the law. Now, the penalty of the law is that when you break it, it claims your life. The wages of sin is death. That's, that's what it means to be under the law. But the Christian, the, the person who truly has, who has been called and has the Spirit of God, the indwelling presence of the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he is not 
under the penalty of the law. There is no condemnation. In other words, when he breaks the law, and he will break the law, the new Christian will break God's law, but he has this promise that he's not under the penalty of that law. When he breaks it, it doesn't claim his life. Why? Because he's under grace, the grace of God. In other words, the only way God can get what he wants from the salvation room process and that is the kind of character that God is looking for, the character of a saint, the character of being an overcomer, being free from your sin, working toward, you know, in this salvation room process as God works on you. He knows you're going to make mistakes. He knows you're going to fail. And for that reason, you're not under the penalty of the law. The law doesn't claim your life when you break it, and yes, you will break it from time to time. You are totally under the grace of God, so that when you do make mistakes, when you do fall short, you can go back to your high priest, Jesus Christ, and say, I made a mistake, I am sorry, and of course, Christ can turn to the Father and say, forgive him. You know, I was tempted in all areas like you know, like he was, yet without sin, but I know what he's going through. I know what he's going through is tough. So this is what it means not to be under the law, but don't ever think that, you know, not being under the law means you don't have to obey the law or you don't have to keep the law, the Ten Commandments. That kind of reasoning doesn't even make any sense at all. You know, it's almost as if Paul assumed that people would make that erroneous conclusion that they're not under the law, therefore they can continue to sin or whatever. So he clears it up in the next verse, uh, Romans 6 and verse 15. Romans 6 and verse 15, it says, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Now there's Paul's answer. Uh, know ye not, and then he gives this illustration. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. So he presents us with a choice that once you come up out of the waters of baptism, you have you now, you know, you you've always had a choice to sin or not to sin. The problem is before your baptism, you really didn't have any power to to choose otherwise. I mean, you just basically yield it to the sin nature. And that's basically all you could do. Now that you have the Spirit of God, you have a choice to, yes, yield to the sin nature, but you also have a choice that is made plainly aware to all of us that I can yield to God. Now, I'm not saying that it's easy. If you think it's easy, you've totally just missed the whole, missed the boat entirely. I mean, it's, it, the boat has sailed off and you're still standing on, on, on the ground back there, but, but it's not easy. It's not easy, but you do now have the choices uh, between the two. And this is what Paul is describing here when he says, Don't you understand to whom you yield yourself servants to obey? His servants you are to whom you obey. Whether it is sin unto death, you have that choice, yes, or obedience unto righteousness. Yes, you have that choice also. So this is the real Christian's choice here, to choose between the two. This is not a cakewalk. This is not something that is easy to do. But it is possible by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. 
the emphasis on the importance of having the Spirit of God so that you can, you know, be an overcomer, so that you can, in the end, be a winner is what God desires from you. In the end, God wants you to be a winner. I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? This has been Podcast 103. Be sure and check out the website, isthatreallyinthebible.net. And under the podcast tab, you can look at the scripture references, which I think will be very helpful for you as you go through these programs to prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Don't believe me. Believe your Bible. Look at these scripture references. Now, next time, I'm going to be talking about an absolute critical question. And the question is this, when will you change? Now, the answer to that question largely depends on the timing of your calling, when God chooses to call you. Because if God is calling you, I can guarantee you your time to change is right now. You don't want to miss this next program entitled, When Will You Change? There's some valuable information in there about change and the timing of God's calling and the way God works through us. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net.